that are wanting to pray for you and with you. And sometimes there are teams, sometimes they might just be single people up here or, you know, individuals. Don't leave here without getting prayer. If you're going through stuff, you know, again, we, we never know about it until somebody brings it to our attention. And honestly, whoever comes up for prayer, they don't come and tell me anything, but at least you're getting prayer. But there's always those prayer cards right in front of you, too, that if you want you know, people to be praying for you. You know, oftentimes we put those on our prayer chain. We have a prayer chain. The men's ministry prays for those every Saturday morning. And so if you need prayer for anything, just write it down. Put it in there. Give it to an usher. Put it in the box out there um, so we can be praying for you. And again, we don't know anything until you tell us. And so um, please don't don't leave without getting prayer. <clears throat> okay. Let's get going here. <laughs> it's been an emotional week already, man. Um, as I shared last week, the book of Romans is made up in, of, of different parts or sections. It's made up of the introduction. And then in, in between the introduction and the conclusion, there's five different sections. And, and last week we did finish that fifth section, which had to do from verses or chapter 12 to chapter 15, verse 13. And that portion, um, again, all the book of Romans for me has just been a phenomenal study for me and to be able to share it with you. But for me personally, a lot of it has just rocked me as far as uh, just encouraged me and, and helped me to grow even more. And, and uh, this last portion, though, this fifth portion from chapters 12 to 15. Uh, it has to do with practical Christian living and how we are to treat one another, what we are to do and how we are to treat one another. And Paul uses that section to encourage his readers how to put all of this into practice, what we're supposed to be doing all he had shared up to then, from chapters 1 to chapter 12, he, he had just been giving us so much, so much basic doctrine for the church. So much of the basic teachings that honestly, as a Christian, you should know. And, and, and if you don't know them, then go back and read these or go back and listen to all the studies that we've been doing through the book of Romans. We've taken some time off here and there, but it's almost a year that we've been in this book. And so if you want to go back, listen to all the basic doctrines that the church, you need to know, because it is there to teach you and to strengthen you. Now, knowing what the Bible says and doing what the Bible says are two different things. <laughs> um, it, it, it is much easier to teach theology what God says, it's much easier to teach theology than to do theology, to do what God says. Um, I, could, I could all day long sit up here and pontificate on what the Word of God says to you and then say, ah, it's hard for me, but you should be doing it. But it is, it's really easy to teach it sometimes in that sense, that, that, that here's what God says and this is what you should be doing. Doing it, on the other hand, it's like, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? Because I, I've shared this time and time again in, in a lot of the books that we've been covering, 
The Word of God is not complicated. It really is not complicated. It's just hard to do because we don't want to do it. It tells us what to do. It shows us what to do. It gives us examples of what to do and not to do. And yet we have a hard time with it. It's kind of interesting because, again, most of you guys have kids. And you teach your kids and you teach your kids and you teach your kids and you're going, come on, you're old enough. You're three and a half years old. You should know everything already. You know, or, or now you're five years old. You should know this by now. You know, you are 10 years old. You're 15. How is it that you just don't get it? And it's like, that's who we are. Even kids, they know what mom and dad want, but they don't always do it. And same thing with us. It, it, it's in, in living and doing theology that we see growth in ourselves. And when we start seeing growth in ourselves by doing theology, what God says, what he teaches, we start seeing growth in our family. And when that happens, that we start seeing growth in ourselves and in our families, we begin to see growth in the church. We begin to see more of a healthy church um, kind of functioning the way God wants it to function. And, and all that expands when, when, when we're growing in ourselves, in our families, in the church. It expands, it spreads out into our jobs and into our communities. And it ends up in, in all the other relationships we have in, in, in jobs or family, relatives. You know, all that expands just by doing theology, just by doing what God says we should be doing. And so it expands not only within the church, but it can go outside the church. Because now you're living the Bible outside in front of people's lives. And they're looking at you going, what the heck? How is it that you're doing this? I know that you're going through this. How is it that you're holding up? And what a great opportunity to share. This is what God has been doing in my life. That's why. Other than that, I'd be like doing what you're doing, you know? But people trip out. When they see that your life, if it's falling apart or things are going on and they see a calmness, they see a peace, they see something that God is doing in you and they're going, I don't know what it is, but I think I want it. They might not ask you or tell you about it, but I think they, they, uh, I want it, they might say. And it's interesting because what I have seen even in our church with the vision of going deeper that I shared for this year, with the books that we have been covering on Sunday morning, from First Peter to Second Peter to to First John, and what we've been covering on Thursday nights with the Book of Romans, and we took that summer series of Ephesians. What I have been seeing is that God is calling us, Calvary Chapel Feeling, to love. I think, I, and, and again, maybe you guys are going, "Is that what we've been talking about?" It's like that's what I've been preaching up. For all stinking year. Come on, people. I've been, I, man. And okay, and maybe it's not for anybody else, but for me that I just need to love. I need to love. Because again, that's what I've been learning this whole year. When we started going deeper and God started taking us away from the shore and into the deeper waters where you can't touch the shore and he's going to, are you going to trust me? When you can't touch the bottom, are you going to trust me? Well, you're either going to sink or swim, so come on, let's go. 
And I think part of that for us is the fact that he's been telling us you need to love because that is where it starts, guys. You want to go deeper with Jesus? Do his word. You want to go deeper with Jesus? Love one another. Because that's, that's, that, that's what sets us apart. And if we can do that, you'd be surprised where you're going to end up at the end of this year. If you've been doing that. Now, it's interesting because many of you wanted to go deeper, started going deeper, and then all of a sudden there's, there's trials and tribulations that, you're coming, that are coming at you and you wanted to give up, but yet God's going, no, you can do this, you can do this, and you're being encouraged. And a, a lot of that had to do with loving one another. And I think that oftentimes God wants us to love, not just in theory, okay, not oftentimes, he doesn't want us to, to love in theory. He wants us to love in action. And maybe some of the trials that you've been going through, the Lord has allowed you to go through those things because he has brought things into your life that he's trying to teach you this basic doctrine of love. That's it. And he wants you to grow in that. And he wants you to show that love within the church and then outside the church. I was talking to somebody earlier today and uh, I kind of threw, threw a little bit of this out and he is just like, he's an older guy, man. And he's like, he says, I just want to get people and just uh, like, but I know I need to love, but I want to get them. And he's telling me, and I'm just like laughing because it's like, dude, God's working with you. And until you kind of just give up and just start loving, <laughs> and it really is hard, but it's not hard. To understand, right? You guys probably understood everything I said. I thought, oh, yeah, in theory, awesome. Let's do it in action. You see, it's easy to love when things are going great and when people are lovely. <laughs> it's quite another thing when it's not going great and people aren't lovely in your life. And yet, those are the times that God wants you to learn how to love. <sighs> so now we come into the conclusion or get into the conclusion of the book of Romans. It's in chapter 15, verse 14, starting in verse 14. Now it's interesting because the conclusion here in Romans is a chapter and a half. Paul's longest conclusion. In 1 Corinthians, that conclusion is a chapter long. Colossians is about a half a chapter long. And all the other writings of Paul are just a few verses where it says conclusion, and they just like, blip, 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 two or three verses, he's done, amen, adios amigo, see you later, type stuff. But this, this conclusion kind of reminds me of when people are leaving my house. We're sitting around, been fellowshipping, talking, having a good time, and people, somebody announces, oh, we're leaving. And they stand up. And then we talk. And then we move into the kitchen to put away the dessert dishes and stuff, and then we talk. And then we move into the entryway where the door is at, and then we talk. And we say goodbye, and we've said goodbye two or three times already, and then we go outside, and then we talk. And then they get by their car and then we talk. And then they get inside the car and the window goes down and then we talk. And then they start driving off and I'm like, hey, hey, wait a minute. Not really. <laughs> no, that's when I let them go. 
You're going, geez, I don't want to go to your house. (laughs) But it's a long goodbye, it seems like, you know, because it's like you're saying goodbye and you're saying goodbye. And that's kind of what it seems like here. And it reminded me of an old Mexican song. I know you guys might not know, but it says, Dices que te vas y te vas y te vas y no te has ido. And it's translated, you say you're leaving, you say you're leaving, you're leaving, and you haven't left. (laughs) And it's not that Paul could not say goodbye. He just had a lot to say to the Romans. And so here in this portion, he opens up just a little bit more (laughs) personally. And so it's going to be hard for him to say goodbye. But he shares what God has called him to do. So verse 14 of chapter 15 says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to, um, uh, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you in some points, on some points, as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit so that from Jerusalem and around about to Illyricum, Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, as it is written, to whom he has not announced, was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. That's all we'll be covering tonight if we get there. (laughs) But going back to verses 14 through 16, where, where he says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren. To me, as I was looking at this, I thought, this, this is an interesting statement that Paul, who, who has never been to Rome, is, is talking to them and he has shared with them as, he, as, as though he is very dear to them, very close to them. And yet, up to this point, he had not ever been to Rome. He, he, he knew a lot maybe in Rome or from Rome, but he had never stayed there or spent any time there. Now we know that he will know or he knows a lot of people because of this, the 16th chapter when he's saying his goodbyes. He has a list, a plethora of people that he says goodbye to. 
from Rome. So he knows a lot of people, but he has never been there. And it is quite possible that those in and from Rome had told Paul about their brethren back in Rome. It's quite possible that when they met up with Paul, wherever he was at, they just bragged on their brothers and sisters back in Rome, who they were, their character, their style, the way they conducted themselves, all these kinds of things. It's almost like he he knew them intimately, he knew them personally, because these people had shared with them about their character, about their virtue, about their kind of people that they were. And, and, and in many sense, I'm sure he felt like he knew them, even though he had never met them. Many, many of us have felt that meeting a friend of a friend, you become friends. <laughs> a good friend of yours has a good friend and you meet him and you know all about him because your friend has talked to you about him. And so it's almost like you guys have this kindred spirit right off the bat because all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, we have all these things in common or whatever it is. I know that when we've gone to, to like Ecuador and, and we meet new people, it's like we become gelled with them. Or I go to other places, I go to a conference and, and you meet a guy and all of a sudden you just become besties, you know. It's like, man, I, I think I've known you forever. And that's kind of what Paul kind of felt here, I think, as, as he says, now I myself am confident concerning you. He considered them brethren. Even though he really didn't know them, he was persuaded that these were genuine brothers in the Lord. And he knew that he could write to them and they would receive what he had to say to them. He was confident in that. That it wasn't going to fall on deaf ears. I'm sure not everybody enjoyed Paul or liked Paul. I'm sure they heard about him. But it's quite possible not everybody tripped on him. You know, he wasn't everybody's cup of tea probably. But for the most part, even though they had never really met Paul, they received what he had to say. Maybe because he is an apostle. Maybe. But I'm sure the people that came back and would tell the church about this apostle Paul, that even though he is known all over the place, he's a genuine kind of guy. You'll like him if you ever met him. His confidence or persuasion was because of what he knew of them. That they were full of goodness, it says in verse 14. They were filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. He knew that about them. He says, I'm confident about you guys. That, that word goodness is virtue. That, that, that word knowledge was was the understanding of the full scope of Christian truth they understood. That word admonish means to be able to caution, reprove, or, or, or warn someone gently. They, they, they were able to do... He knew that about them. And you know, as I was thinking about that, I thought, what do people know about you as a Christian? What are your brothers and sisters telling other brothers and sisters about you? 
Would somebody have that persuasion, that confidence of saying, I already know you? Well, how do you know me? From what people are telling me. <laughs> it could be a good thing or a bad thing. Huh? <laughs> you meet somebody and they're kind of standoffish. It's like, huh, maybe your reputation has gone before you. And they know you're a jerk. It's quite possible there's Christian jerks. That would be sad, wouldn't it? That that's what people knew about you. That you're cocky or you're arrogant or you're this or you're that. No, here he says, I am confident of you guys because I know that you are full of goodness. You have some virtues about you that are really good. They're admirable. They're attractive. I know that you have this, you're full of knowledge. You understand what the Bible says. You understand what the Word of God says. And so I know you're the way you walk because you walk in truth. You understand truth and you walk in it. I know that you're not afraid to have to tell a brother or sister what's up. But you, I, I know you do it in a gentle way. And so I just love that because as I was looking at this, I'm going, man, what do people say about me? What do they say about you? What I gather from those that Paul is writing to is that they were growing in the Lord. They were willing to learn and they were willing to be taught. I'm sure there was a lot of smart people, uh, maybe been walking with the Lord for a while, but he knew that they were willing to receive from him, not just because of who he was, but because they were willing to learn. But I also like the fact that as I read these scriptures here, these, this portion, it does not seem that Paul puts himself above any of them. He, does, he doesn't say, hey man, you guys got to listen to me. Because I'm the Apostle Paul. I will one day be known as the great Apostle Paul. You know me before I got big. He doesn't do that. He, he, he felt comfortable enough to them to write, it says, more boldly to them on some points. He knew that they were able to, 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 to handle it, that they wouldn't get so offended. He, he, he had confidence in them. He knew that they were mature enough to understand. Paul did this understanding the grace. He did this understanding the grace, the gift that he had received from God as a minister. He didn't lord it over them. He, he knew his position. He knew his place. And he didn't throw his weight around. Not with these people. He didn't do that with them. I don't see a lot of that with Paul. Sometimes, you, you know, he, he, he can get a little jumpy here and there with like Barnabas back in Acts. But most of the time, he, he just didn't throw his weight around. He didn't, didn't do that. He knew his position and he knew that they knew who he was. And he knew, they, he knew that they knew where he was coming from. But he says, he says, you know, I, I've spoken to you more boldly in certain points. I, I've, I've been more pinpointed with you. 
I've been able to tell you stuff that I really couldn't tell the weak brother, but I'm telling you because I know, I know that you're more mature and you're not going to get easily offended. And so he, he does hit them hard in, in some of these practical things that they should be doing. And he says that he, he, he does this because of the grace given to him that, that he might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That word minister that he uses here, it's not the same word minister that he has used in other places. That The word minister that is commonly used is, is the word steward. A deacon, somebody who serves somebody. A, a steward is one who doesn't own anything, but he... He, he, he does things for his master. He, he, that would be the minister, the, the steward. But, but this word here carries something more than just a steward or a deacon. It carries with it the word priest. One who holds an office. It speaks of a public, of, of public office or a public servant. A minister of whatever, a public servant. But Paul held this office or title almost as a temple priest. Almost like a temple priest would. One who would represent God to the Gentiles and the Gentiles to God because they didn't have that connection. And Paul, in a sense, took that position as a minister to teach the Gentiles. If you knew who Paul was before he became a Christian, this is so out of his realm to, to buddy up with Gentiles. If you knew how hardcore he was, this is huge that he is mentioning here that he is a minister to the Gentiles and he knows that's his calling and that's who he goes after. Now, don't get me wrong. He had a heart for the Jewish people. He had a heart for his people. If you read chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans, it has to do with Israel and his heart for Israel. So he never left that, but he knew that every time he went into a place, he went into a sanctuary, or to a sanctuary, a synagogue, first and foremost, to go minister to his peeps, the people that he came out of, and they would always reject him because his, his reputation went before him. They knew, hey, you're one of those Christian guys now. You used to be one of us. Now you're one of them, and you have ranked out. And now you are even ministering to Gentiles. And so all the time that you see Paul getting attacked, coming, people coming against him, for the most part is because he was ministering to the Gentiles. And yet he understood that by the grace of God, God had called him to be a minister to the Gentiles. I, I, I like that in Romans eleven thirteen he says, I magnify that that office, or I magnify that, um, that ministry, the fact that he, he was called to the Gentiles. He held it dear. But he understood the grace. He understood the grace that, that he had received, and he understood the grace that was afforded to the Gentiles. Guys, that's you and I. <laughs> grace came to the Gentiles, you may have some Jewish blood somewhere, but most of us are Gentiles. 
And because he had such a heart for the Gentiles and the gospel went out to the Gentiles, me and you are saved all these hundreds of years later because his heart was to go out and other people's hearts were to go out. And that just kept on going and going and going. He had such a heart to minister to them. He understood that the same grace that was afforded to him was afforded to them. He knew that just how he had been sanctified, how he had been set apart, God was doing a work in the Gentile community to set them apart, to sanctify them. And in a sense, he, he was being that priest that was going between. He was the go-between to offer them the gospel of, of God and he was offering them to God. And, and, and if anybody was praying for the Gentiles, it was this cat. It was this man. He was praying for them. He had a heart for them. He knew that they were accepted by God. Now, not everybody accepted this. <laughs> the Jews, for sure, they hated the fact that Paul was going to the Gentiles. They hated the Gentiles. But even some within the Christian community, the early church, didn't like this. There was contentions going on because Paul was going to the Gentiles. We, we, I think I talked about it last week when Peter was called to go to the Gentiles. And he's going, not so, Lord, I can't. You know, they're, unco- they're unclean, they're common. And God's saying, no, I'm opening up a door. And so he goes and they get saved. And he comes back and they're tripping at, at, in Jerusalem going, why did you go to Cornelius' house in Caesarea? Well, God told me to go. And you ate with them? Yes, <laughs> I did. I was hungry. And he says, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them just like the Holy Spirit has fallen upon us. And they didn't like it. They had a hard time with it. But Paul knew. He knew that these Gentiles had been accepted by God and he was going to fight for them. Just like Larry Parker. I fight for you. He was going to fight for them as a minister of and to the Gentiles. He knew he had been called for them. And he would continue to offer them the gospel and he would continue to offer them up to God. And he says, I know this. I know this is what God has called me. And in verse 16, we see how he he says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And you notice the Trinity in that verse? <laughs> you know, that, that, that you would just kind of circle Jesus Christ, God, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, mixed right here in this verse in connection with the Gentiles. God was was the one that was involved sending Paul out to reach these people. But he was also the one that was bringing these people unto himself for salvation. He was bringing these people in and setting them apart for his good pleasure. The triune God did it. He, he, he said those people, and it was throughout the Old Testament that he would talk about, and he quotes, um, verse, in, in verse 21, he quotes Isaiah 52, talking about the Gentiles, that they would one day come and be a part of this whole thing. 
And now it was coming to pass. And Paul knew that he was the one that was called to the Gentiles like this. Now, it's not exclusive to guys like Paul to be called. He knew his calling was to to go out to the Gentiles. But it wasn't exclusive just to him because God had, had been raising other people up. Yes, he was like the initial or one of the big, you know, the ones that God had started, but it's not exclusive that he would be called to go do something like this because he, God could even use guys like me from the Gentile community to go out and preach the gospel. You see, he was a minister of the gospel. He was a minister of Jesus Christ to share the gospel of God, that the Holy Spirit would be doing that work. And he calls people to preach the gospel. And he calls people like you and me to go preach the gospel. It's not exclusive to a certain people. It's for all of us. And it's interesting because I know my calling. <laughs> I, I, I know my calling. My calling is, is, is to be a pastor. My calling is, is to, to minister to my people here, to equip them with the gospel, to equip them with, with what is needed so they can go out and preach the gospel as well. And I want to fulfill my office because I, I, I know this is what he's called me to and I want to do it to the best of my ability. But even before I had a title of a pastor, <laughs> I knew that as a Christian I had been called to reach the lost. Never imagined to be behind a pulpit of any kind, but I knew that as a young Christian, I was called to share my faith. And so I I didn't hold back from that. So regardless whether I had a title or didn't, I knew that I was called as a Christian to, to minister. Now some minister because they have a capital M next to their name, and others, most, minister even though they have a small M, because we're all called to minister. Paul, Paul is, is, is using that word here as a priest, one who goes between the, the Gentile and God to represent the, uh, God to the Gentiles and the Gentiles to God. And guys, we are the go-betweens. God uses people like us even today to represent God to people and people to God. That's who he's called us to be, whether we have a title or not. <laughs> whether you're here in church or you're out in the community, whether you're, you're out in the ball fields or you're at work, you are to be a representative representing Christ to the people. The, these, these verses here not only apply to what Paul personally was being called to do, we are look, to look at this and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be involved here to do what you have called people to do? Paul says in verses 17 and 18, he says, Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word or deed and deed. To make the Gentiles obedient. Paul had told the Corinthians, quoting, I think it was Jeremiah, he's, uh, in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 30 of 1 Corinthians, he says, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. If we're going to boast, we're going to boast in Christ. 
We're going to boast in what the Lord has allowed us to do. Anything we get to do for Christ is not for our own glory. We are never to steal the God, God's glory. Everything we are called to do is for the glory of God. It's for our good, don't get me wrong. And, and God will use people like me and like you. But everything we do is to the glory of God. And Paul says, man, I, I will not even dare to speak of anything that I have that he has not allowed me to do that somebody else has done. It's like I'm not going to take credit for anything else but for what God has called me to do. I will, I, I, I will, I will look to that. Paul, Paul was used in such powerful ways to reach the Gentiles. Yet even in that, he wouldn't take credit in and of himself. He understood that he was just a tool in the hand of God. Guys, shouldn't that be our desire? To be a tool in the hand of God. And guys, you know, oftentimes we say, Lord, use me, do this, do this. And be, God begins to open doors and then we, we like, whoa, wait a minute. Because you've opened yourself up. God says, you want to make, a, make yourself available? I'll use you. Yes, Lord, here I am. And then he says, hey, I need you to do... The, whoa, wait a minute, God. And yet God, man, he, he wants tools. He, he wants to use you and I. If you make yourself available, then he will give you the ability to go do what he has called you to do. It's all written down in his word. He's already given us the manual. Most of you guys have it on your lap. And yet, can you say that you are full of the knowledge of all that comes with being a Christian? And so again, he, he, Paul's, Paul's saying, I, I was just an open vessel. <laughs> again, if you knew Paul's life, he was so closed off to Christianity that he was killing Christians. He hated them. And yet when God got a hold of him, he ran just as hard for God as he ran for, for, for his religion. He ran even harder. And, and many people, they run so hard for, for Satan in this world, and yet they become a Christian and it's like, ah, oh, it's time to kick it. It's time to just like chill and, and it's like, just feed me. And it's like, no, run just as hard. Be a tool in God's hand. Because again, the Holy Spirit had empowered Paul in verse 19 where it says, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit or, or the Spirit of God. In, in the power of God, the, 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 the Holy Spirit had, had given him and had empowered him to go out and minister. He enabled him to do mighty signs and wonders. And the miracles that God gave Paul to do were signs to, to, to show people uh, who God was, to reveal who God was. And, and he knew that these signs they, and, and this power came from God, not from himself. And, and the wonders that, that are, are mentioned, you know, they, they were to arouse the, the wonder in people, the awe in people, the things that he did. But their purpose was always to, to find a way to, to preach the gospel. Throughout the book of Acts, we see miracles happening through the apostles. <clears throat> we see how, uh, how God used the apostles. In the book of Acts, we see how God used the apostles time and time again. When Paul even came to the Lord, we see that God began to use him in powerful ways. <clears throat> and the books or, or, or the, the, the miracles that were used were given to authenticate the messenger and the message. But they were never meant to be the main attraction. 
these miracles, these signs and wonders. The gospel was always the main attraction. Miracles by themselves were not given to save the lost. It's the gospel and the gospel alone that saves the lost. Not a miracle. It's interesting because there was a miracle, uh, a healing that Paul did in Acts chapter 14 in Lystra. Where, where he, he, he goes and heals a, a, a crippled man. The immediate response from the people of Lystra was a pagan response. They looked at them and said, you guys must be gods. And they wanted to worship them. <laughs> See, this miracle was not, was not to like, hey, the gospel. It was like to heal this man. But yet the response was, oh, you guys must be gods, pagan gods. And the people came to Paul and Barnabas and wanted to worship them. And as Paul had that open door, he shared the gospel with them instead. They didn't respond quite enthusiastically as they had before. (laughs) As a matter of fact, the people stoned Paul because he shared the gospel with them. And they left him for dead outside the city. So much for your miracle, bud. And yet God does another miracle and He raises them from the dead. (laughs) You know, people say, well, maybe He wasn't dead. It's like, come on. These people at that time, they were like professional stoners. Not like getting high stoners. They knew when they left someone dead with stones. That wasn't their first stoning, their first rodeo. They knew that Paul was dead under that pile. And yet God raised him from the dead. And so again, there were signs and wonders that, that, that came after the work of God. And Paul was obedient to go wherever the Lord sent him and whatever happened, happened. But he didn't do it for signs and wonders. He didn't send an advanced team out there to go you know, hype up the crowd or the city and, and it's like, hey man, we're going to have signs and wonders. Come on down. It was nothing like that. Now, I'm sure people went before him and say, hey, Paul's coming. And, and I'm not against like advertising and stuff like that, but the gospel is not to become a circus. Signs and wonders are not what makes the gospel. That follows the gospel. We do know that Paul went up to Jerusalem to preach many times in Jerusalem and to share, but we have no record that, we, that he went up to um, Eliacum. 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 Eliacum was, was a province on the northwest side of Macedonia. If you look at your maps, there's Macedonia and Eliacum is, is up by the Adriatic Sea. We don't have any record that he went there, but we know that he was in Macedonia. And it's quite possible that, that he did go up to um, this, this place and maybe the southern parts. But we don't know when he did, if he did, but he says he did. But be that as it may, he says, I fully preach the gospel. And this I do know about Paul. Wherever he went, he did not hold back. He fully preached the gospel wherever he went. And what I get from all of this here is that I, we need to be open to share the gospel anytime, anywhere. 
wherever God opens the door that we would desire to go. Because he who dwells in us is willing to use us if we open ourselves up. To do anything that pertains to God. (laughs) Again, guys, if you are open enough for that, for the things that pertain to God, God will blow your mind. To share the gospel, to minister, to use you to do signs and wonders even. Paul had his calling and he was confident in his calling. But he was also confident in others as well. It wasn't all about Paul. It was never about Paul. Paul never made a, went out there to make a name for himself. I love the fact that, that he knew that God could work in him, but he knew that God could work in other people. And he was in a one-man show. But this man was willing to be poured out to the very end. And if there was no one else, he would go. As tired as he, was, as, as he would be, he would go. He was going to be spent. That was his desire. That's what he wanted to do. And so in this portion, he, in this conclusion, he begins to share some of his personal life. This is what God has called him to, do, to be. And he's sharing it with them. That's why he can't say goodbye because he wants, them to, he wants to encourage them. He wasn't like not confident in these people. He had a lot of confidence in them. And I think what he's trying to get across is if God could use somebody like me, he could use somebody like you. If God has put a calling in my life, then he's put a calling in your life. And I feel the same way. You know, I, I, I probably am the most inadequate person here. There's guys that, that are even in this room right now that I look up to as teachers. They are amazing teachers. And I love listening to them. But I know God has called me to be the pastor here. With all my insecurities and everything, I know He has called me to this position. But I know that I'm not the only one that can be used. There's so many people here that are being used and that God wants to use if you just open yourself up a little bit more and say, here I am, Lord, use me. If he can use a fool like me, (laughs) he can use a fool like you. (laughs) (laughs) And I love this that he says in verse 20, he says, and so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. What is your aim? What is your aim? Is it your aim to do the things that pertain to God? And if that is your aim, then He will help you preach the gospel wherever you go. And sometimes preaching the gospel is just being that, that, that light in the dark place where you're at. Your life can be the gospel. You don't even have to speak. Your life can live the gospel. But use words when you have to. <laughs> It's great to be a, a silent witness, but I'd, I'd also like to see some boisterous witnesses as well. He said, I make it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. You know, Paul's heart was not to go and, 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 and buddy up with somebody else or to, or to superimpose somebody else's work or, or to go and take the glory where somebody else has started. No, he went where nobody else had gone. That was, that was his heart. Now, today, in this day and age, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed, especially in the United States, whatever city you go to, not to find a church, but there's different flavors to churches. And so people start churches in different places. 
But Paul was not about to just go build on another man's foundation. His heart was to go reach those who have not heard the gospel. And to him, it was the Gentiles. And and he quotes here Isaiah 52.15, the last portion of it where he says, to whom, or the first portion, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. Guys, there's people that are blind and deaf out there, even today, in this day and age, that have not heard the gospel, have not seen the gospel portrayed in front of them. And guys, you and I have that privilege to go out and do that. Amen? I'm not going to sing right now, so if you were here, I know probably you guys are going, is he going to sing again like Sunday morning? If you guys weren't here on Sunday morning, it was amazing that way. People were like saying, why does Jim get to sing all the time? Why don't you? No, actually, I had the other, it's like, you're never going to beat out Jim. It's like, Tell me something I don't know. Um, but anyways, I was just uh, messing with you guys. I'm not going to sing. Let's stand. <laughs> Come on up. Father, we just thank you and praise you once again for your gospel, for your word. It's so true, Lord God. Father, I thank you for just the heart that Paul had to share with the Romans um, just what you had called them to. And Lord, we get to benefit from it 2,000 years later, still. These things that he wrote to, to them about, things that he, that he shared with them because he had confidence that they would understand because they had goodness and, and, and knowledge and admonishment, Lord God. They were willing to do all those things, Lord God. And so, Father, I just pray that even tonight we would speak to the, the, my brothers and sisters. Lord, that you would challenge them about what their calling is, Lord. Father, many of them you, you've called just to be the best workers where they're at right now. You've called some of them to be the best parents, the best grandparents to their kids, to be out in the soccer fields or baseball fields or, or whatever fields out there, Lord God, to be the best parents out there, to be the best examples. And so, Lord, wherever you've called us to go, whether we have a, a capital M or a small M, <laughs> help us to minister to represent you to the people around us. Thank you, Father. We bless you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come up for a prayer. Don't be shy. God has not called Zeke to be the worship leader here.